Hi there. Welcome to the 37th episode of Stories That Made Us. The podcast brings to you stories from cultures and civilizations from around the world. And this week, it is the conclusion of the wondrous and magnificent creation myth of the Japanese. If you've missed the previous two episodes on the Japanese, I would like a refresher. It is now a good time to check them out. In part one of the myth, we spoke of the creation of the world and all the deities of natural phenomena by the gods Izanagi and Izanami. In the second part, we continued the story with the tale of Amaterasu, the sun goddess, and Sosanewane, the mischievous trickster god. The episode concluded with the travels and tribulations of the deity named Ahonamoji. The episode ended when Ahonamoji finally found happiness after marrying Sasari Hime, the daughter of Sosanawana. He then founded his own kingdom in the province of Izuma. Finally, the finale that is this episode continues with his story and concludes with the end of the reign of gods and deities upon earth and the beginning of the reign of emperors. So then, let's begin with part 3 of the Japanese creation myth. Ahonamoji built for himself and his wife a beautiful palace in the province of Izuma. He was a benevolent ruler who toiled to make his lands bountiful for his subjects. So invested was he in the betterment of his people that he would spend months touring the countryside, listening to and solving his subjects' grievances. One day, Ahonamoji, on a tour of his lands, went to Waboma in Isasa. He was just having some food and drink, when all of a sudden, there he heard a human voice from the sea. After much looking, he was astonished to find a dwarf paddling a boat towards the shore. Bemused, the king of Izumo went to the shore and awaited the dwarf floating towards him on a boat made of leaves and wearing nothing but a goose skin. Eager to find out more about this mysterious little man, Ahonamoji sent a messenger to report the matter to the gods of heaven. When Takami Musubi, incidentally, the god who granted life to Ahonamoji after his brothers had killed him, heard the news, he came to Ahonamoji and said, I have produced over a thousand and five hundred children, and this dwarf is one of them. He is inclined to mischief and never listens to my words. Do take him in with you, welcome him to your lands, and let him be loved and nurtured. This dwarf god was Sukuna Bikona, the popular god of medicine and brewing. Ahonamoji and Sukuna Bikona, united in strength, both compassionate and loving, devised various medicines and methods of healing diseases. They also 
in order to do away with the calamities on fields and crops by birds, rodents, and other pests, established means for their prevention and control. It is, therefore, through their blessings that people enjoy the protection of these devices and techniques until the present day. Now Takami Musubi, one of the primordial, all-powerful deities, and the husband of Amaterasu, the sun goddess, had a grandson, on whom he doted over. When the grandson, Amatsu, came of age, the great deity desired to establish him as the lord of the earth. The problem, however, was that earth was ruled by a lot of deities whose kingdoms shone with a luster like that of fireflies. There were also tree and rock deities who could speak, and they lorded over their own realms. Takami Musubi, wanting to know of ways to tackle this problem of overcrowded earth, convened an assembly of all the gods of heaven. To them he said, I desire to have all the gods of the realm of earth expelled and subdued. Who is it that we should send for this divine task? The gods replied that it had to be Amano Hihi. He, after all, was the most heroic of all the gods. Takami Musubi complied with the general advice and sent for Amano Hihi tasking him with clearing the earth realm. However, when Amano Hihi descended to earth, he carried favor with Ahonamochi, the lord of Izuma province, and three years passed without him making any report back to Takami Musubi. The primordial deity, growing curious, commanded Amano Hihi's son to go and inquire about his father. Alas, being in compliance with his father's wishes, the son also failed to deliver any reports. Curiosity turning to impatience, Takami Musubi assembled all the deities again, bringing forth the same command. Who should I send to clear the earth now? He said. The deities altogether replied. This time, Sent Amewakahiko. He is of immense strength and valor. Let him be tried. And so, the elder god called forth Amewakahiko, bestowing upon him a heavenly bow and arrow, and sending him out to do his bidding. The deity, however, was disloyal, and as soon as he arrived on the plains of earth, took a wife sired a daughter, and said to himself, Why should I not be a lord of the earth realm? I too wish to govern this fertile land. Thus, he never got back to Takami Musubi either. Frustrated by the lack of progress on his divine will, the elder god then sent the divine pheasant, Nanaki, to locate and observe Amewakahika. The pheasant found the deity in his home, with his wife and daughter. Q 
Keen to observe more before making his report, Nanaki perched on a branch of a tree and peeked in. Amewakahiko's wife, seeing the divine bird, told her husband, A strange bird has come and is perched on the tree outside our house. The deity immediately understood the purpose of the heavenly bird. He then took the bow and the arrow bestowed upon him by Takami Musubi and shot at the pheasant. The arrow, blessed with divine power, flew through the poor bird's heart while making its way to the hall where Takami Musubi was sat in heaven. Upon seeing the arrow, the god exclaimed, this is the arrow that I gave to Amewakahiko. It is stained with blood, and so he must be fighting the earth deities right now. He then added, If this arrow has been shot with evil intent, let woe befall Amewakahiko. If, however, it has been shot with a tranquil heart to further my cause, May it bring glory and joy. Saying this, the god flung the arrow back upon earth. It fell down the heaven and plunged into the breast of Amewakahiko, who died immediately. This is the origin of the general saying, Fear a returning arrow. Frustration turning to anger, Takami Musubi again convened a divine assembly of deities to chastise them for the lack of progress and to find a solution for once and for all. After much deliberation, the deities agreed to send two ferocious gods to clear out the plains of the earth realm. The two gods descended upon earth with their swords and proceeded to exile all the deities of the land. They first reached Izuma and questioned Ahonamochi, saying, You owe Takami Musubi your life, for he had revived you twice at the request of your mother. Hear now the will of the great god. He wishes to send down his grandchild to rule over earth as its lord. He has sent us both to clear out and pacify the country. What is your intention, Lord of Izuma? Will you stand aside or fight? To this, Ahonemoji responded, I have built this land through hard work and toil. Why should I now forsake it for someone else's room? How shall I face my son if I were to forsake his right over the land as the one to rule after me. The two deities, putting some thought into Ahonamochi's argument, found the reasoning sound and dutifully returned to Takami Musubi, narrating the entire incident. The primordial god, having listened to the argument, found much wisdom in Ahonamochi's words. Upon deliberation, the Elder God wrote a letter, handing it to the two deities to deliver to the Lord of Izuma. The deities once again descended from heaven 
and knocked at the door of Ahonamoji's palace. Receiving them with love and respect, Ahonamoji then said, What command do you bring from the Divine God? The deities handed the letter over to Ahonamoji and waited for his response. Ahonamoji opened the letter and found it to contain the following words. Dear Ahonamoji, having heard your request, I find them to be profound and true. Let me then issue my command to you as this. Let the public matters of your land be henceforth conducted by my grandson. Let him rule over your land in your stead. In return, I offer you a place in heaven. If you so choose, I will build a resplendent palace for you here in the heaven realm. The palace shall be surrounded by fertile lands of the heaven realm, which will bear you fruits and rice for all time. I will also sow and cultivate rice fields for you, and for the time you spend on the sea, I will build for you a high bridge, a floating bridge, and a heavenly boat. I will also build a flying bridge for you on the tranquil river of heaven, and accord festivals in your name, which shall be presided over by none other than Amenohihi, the heroic god. Ahonamoji conferred with his son and chose to stand aside. If I had chosen to resist, all the deities of this land would have stood and fought beside me. But the instructions of the heavenly deity are so courteous that I cannot disobey his commands. Let the divine grandchild preside over the matters of the earth over which I have charge. I will retire and state no claims to these lands. Thus said Ahonamoji. So he took the broad spear which he had used as a staff and gave it to the two gods, saying, This spear has served me well in ruling the land. If the heavenly grandchild will use this spear to rule the land, he shall undoubtedly rule in peace and tranquility. Finally, Ahonamoji said, Let me introduce you to Kanada the deity of Rhodes. He will accompany you and act as your guide in this journey of unification of the lands. Having said this, Ahonamoji left the realm of earth on a self-imposed exile. The two gods then did not take too long to subdue the rest of the earthly deities. Those who were rebellious to the divine command were put to death, while those who rendered obedience were rewarded. And so, the land was cleared of all the deities and was made fit for Amatsu, the divine grandchild, to descend from heaven and take up his place as the ruler of the realm of earth. Takami Musubi took a resplendent cloak and adorned it around his grandson, garbing him in radiant light and beauty 
Amatsu opened the rock door of heaven and thrust asunder the clouds of heaven. Saying his farewells, he then proceeded to descend from the heaven to take over the rule of the earth. He descended upon the peak of the Takachiho mountain. He then passed through the lands, searching for a suitable realm to call his home. Upon finding the land that pleased him, he called forth the Lord of the land, who, upon finding out that the divine grandchild has come, bowed and said, This is a beautiful land, fertile and verdant. It is at your command. Thus, having lordship over the land, Amatsu built a palace hall and rested there. Walking afterwards by the seashore, Amatsu found a beautiful woman. Smitten by her beauty, he went to her and asked her name. I am Kami Ataka, she said, the daughter of Ohoyama. Wishing to make this gorgeous lady his wife, Amatsu went to the father to ask for her hand. I am the divine grandchild to Takami Musubi and Amaterasu, and the ruler of this land. I wish to wed your daughter, he said. To this, the father sent forth his daughter, along with her elder sister, to curry favor from the divine grandchild, along with a hundred tables of offerings. Now. The divine grandchild thought the elder daughter to be ugly, smitten as he was with the younger maiden. He thus refused to entertain the elder daughter while proceeding to spend the night with the younger one. Thus, the elder daughter, Ihanaga Hime, was insulted and shamed, and she cursed the divine grandchild, saying, if the Divine Lord of Earth had chosen me and had not rejected me, the child born to him would have been long-lived and would have endured forever. But seeing that he has chosen to favor my sister, the children and grandchildren born to him will surely be short-lived like the flowers of the trees. And so, she cursed the race of men with short life. This is why we seldom live beyond a hundred years. The next morning, Kami Ataka, the younger sister, met with the divine grandchild and said, I am pregnant with your child, who was conceived last night. How would you wish to proceed with the ceremonies of your child's birth? Shocked at the revelation, the god exclaimed, Deity though I am, how could I, in one night, cause anyone to be with a child? Surely this cannot be my child. The statement and its implications greatly angered the beautiful maiden, who then in all her shame, went to an empty hut and uttered angrily, 
If the child that I conceive is the child of another deity, may the child be unfortunate. But if it truly is the child of the heavenly grandchild, then may he remain unharmed. Saying this, she took a torch and lit the heart. At this time, when the flames broke out, she gave birth to the first child, named Hono Akali. When the flames reached its zenith, the second child, Hono Suseri, was born. The next child that was born was Hono Ori. And finally, when she recoiled from the blaze, the final child, Hiko Hoho Demi, was born. The fire failed to harm the mother and her children. She then went up to the divine grandchild and said, Look, I am unhurt, as are all the children. Will you still not accept them? Will you still not proclaim to the world your children? Having seen their miraculous escape from the fire, the divine grandchild agreed to his parenthood and said, I knew from first that they are my children only. But as they were conceived in one night, I thought there might be suspicions among others. Now, I wish to let everybody know that they are indeed my children, and also that a heavenly deity can cause pregnancy in one night. Moreover, I wish to make it evident that your dignity is pure, untouched and extraordinary. You are to be my exalted wife, and our children shall have great spirit and be excellent rulers of the realm. The years went by, and the children grew up to be men of indomitable spirit. The elder brother, Hono Suseri, had a gift of the seas, making him an excellent fisherman, while his younger brother, Hikohohotemi was more at peace hunting and foraging in the mountains. One day, the two brothers, when spending time idly, came up with a thought. Why don't you go be by the seas while I go and hunt in the mountains, said the elder brother. This way, we will know the peculiarities of each other's gifts and learn to appreciate the world as a whole. Agreeing upon this exchange, the elder brother gave his fish hook to Hikohohotemi, who in turn handed over the bow and arrow to the elder brother, Hikosuseri, for hunting. Hikosuseri, however, got bored of hunting and living in the mountains, and thus repented his bargain. He came back and returned to the younger brother his bow and arrows, asking back for the fish hook in return. The younger brother, however, had lost the fish hook to the sea and had no means of finding it. He accordingly made a new hook and presented it to his elder brother, who refused to accept it and demanded the old hook back. The younger brother grieved at this, and then, to placate his brother, 
took his word and forged from it beautiful fish hooks, which he heaped up in a tray and presented it to his elder brother. But the elder brother refused this new offering as well, saying, These hooks are not my old fish hook. Though they are many, I will not take them. Saying so, he constantly kept harassing and demanding vehemently the old hook back. Distraught and upset by his brother's behavior and constant bickering, Hikohohodemi went and moaned and wept by the shore of the sea. It is here that he met a sea deity, who, upon listening to the plight of the young man, said, Grieve no more, I will arrange this matter for you. So the sea deity made a basket, and placing it in the sea, asked Hohodemi to get into it. Invariably, the basket sank under the sea, and Hohodemi found himself sinking to the bottom of the ocean. At the bottom, however, the young god found that he could breathe. Furthermore, in his horizon, he could spy the palace of the sea god. The palace was a magnificent structure with battlements, turrets, and stately towers. Astonished at finding the palace here and wanting to explore more, the young god made his way towards the palace. Upon reaching the gate, he was unsure as to what to say or do when inside the palace. He therefore loitered on the outskirts, where, after a while, a beautiful young woman walked past. When she raised her eyes and saw the deity, she was alarmed in surprise and ran inside the palace. She was, of course, Toyotama Hime, the daughter of the sea god. She ran to her father's hall straight away and told him, There is a rare stranger at the front door of the palace. He is no ordinary man and seems to be a formidable deity. Hearing this, the sea god went to receive the young deity himself and welcomed him to the palace. Then, Hikohohodemi recanted the whole story to the sea god, along with the purpose of his visit. Upon hearing the tale, the sea god assembled all the fishes, both great and small, and required of them an answer as to where the hook of the princely deity was. They all said, We know not, only the redfish knows, for it seems she has a sore mouth for some time past, and has not come to this meeting. The redfish was therefore peremptorily summoned to appear and upon her mouth being examined, the lost hook was actually found. Then the sea god asked the deity to spend some time in the sea realm and enjoy the peculiar beauties of the ocean. 
Accepting the sea god's proposal, Hikohodemi found himself enjoying the wonders of water. As time passed, he married Toyotamahime, the daughter of the sea god, the maiden who first found him at the gates of the palace. For three years, he enjoyed peace and pleasures of the sea, but still had a longing for land and the mountains. Noticing this, Toyotamahime told her father, My husband often sighs and looks at the shores in grief. It may be that this sorrow is of longing for his country. Hearing this, the sea god immediately requested Hikohodemi's presence, and addressing him in an easy and familiar way, said, If you desire to return to your country, then I will send you back. Saying this, he returned the fishhook to the deity, and in doing so, instructed him, When you give this hook to your brother, before giving it to him, call to it secretly and say the following line, A hook of poverty, a hook of ruin, a hook of downfall. He further presented to Hikohodemi the jewel of the flowing tide and the jewel of the ebbing tide and instructed the deity, saying, if you dip the tide of the flowing jewel, the tide will suddenly flow in, and in doing so, you would drown your elder brother. But in case your brother repents his behavior, and you so wish to save him, then you should dip the tide ebbing jewel in the water, and the tide will recede, thereby saving your brother. If you harass your brother this way, he may even surrender his claims to the throne for you. Thus, having the blessing of the sea god, Hikohodemi began making preparations to go back to the land. His wife, Toyotamahime, then addressed him, saying, I am pregnant with our child, and the time of delivery is not far off. On a day when the winds and waves are raging, I will surely come forth from the seas to the seashore to deliver our baby. I pray you to build a palace where I may deliver our child, and wait for me there. And so, Hikohodemi returned to the land, and sought out his family. Upon finding his brother, he as instructed by the sea god, whispered the enchantment onto the fishhook before returning it. Then he used the jewel of the flowing tide to swarm his brother with water. On the verge of drowning, the elder brother finally relented and begged of mercy. He admitted to his offense, saying, O oh brother, I did treat you wrong. My intention was to see you admonished and punished for losing my hope. I confess to my sin, and beseech you to mercifully spare my life. I shall even relinquish my claim to throne and present it to you, if you so desire, 
and be no more than a jester in your court. Thus, extracting this oath from his elder brother, he spared his life by the use of the flow-ebbing jewel. It is this incident that originated the custom of not pressing a man to return a lost needle. Having thus vanquished his brother's threat of rain, Hikohohodemi proceeded to build the palace he promised his wife. When the time came for delivering his child, Toyotamahime came up ashore along with her sister, Tamayorihime, bravely confronting the winds and the waves, riding on the back of a giant turtle. When the time of the baby's delivery was at hand, the sister, Tamayorihime, told Hikohohodemi, Your wife is in labor. I pray that you do not look upon her during childbirth. The princely deity, however, could not restrain himself, but went secretly and peeped in. Now, Toyotamahime was just in childbirth and, keeping with the ancestral history of her family, the sea gods are claimed to have been descended from dragons. She changed her form to that of a dragon. When she came to know that Hikohoho had spied on her during childbirth, the princess of the sea was greatly ashamed. She said to her husband, if you had listened to me, if you had not disgraced me so, I would have made, in our son, a prince to rule both the seas and the lands. I would have made the sea and the land communicate with each other and forever banish any division between them. But alas, now that you have disgraced me, such will not come to pass. So. She wrapped the infant in cloth and abandoned it on the seashores. She then barred entry to her sea palace and left the land. This child was called Hikonagisa Takeugaya Fuko Ahezu. Thus, Hikohobodemi was left to nurse the infant. He took other women and made them wet nurses. These various women provided for the nurture of the infant. This birthed the tradition and the present-day practice of engaging temporarily wet nurses to bring up infants. Years went by and Toyotamahime once heard what a fine boy her child had become. Her heart was greatly moved with affection. She wished to come back to the land and bring him up. But she could not do so, having lost all claim to the child when she abandoned him as an infant years ago. She therefore sent her sister, Tamayorihime, to look after her boy. In due course of time, Hikonagisa, the child, took his aunt, Tamayorihime, as his consort, and had by her four children. 
The fourth of his children was Sano no Mikoto. This was his name when he was young. Afterwards, when he had cleared and subdued all the land, controlling all of the eight great islands birthed by Izanagi and Izanami, the title of Kamu Yamato Ihare Biko was added to his name, and he became the first emperor of Japan. After ruling over the lands a long time, forever bereft of his wife, Hikohodemi died, a broken man for having lost his beloved wife. He was buried under Mount Takaya, the same mountain from which his father had descended upon earth. He was the first deity to die due to the curse placed upon the descendants of Amatsu. And with his death ended the age of gods upon earth. And so began the age of emperors. That concludes the creation myth of the Japanese. I hope you liked the tale, and if you did, please subscribe to the podcast. I'd appreciate a feedback and a rating. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram by following the handle at stories THT MDE US. That's at stories THT MDE US. You may also choose to email us at info.storiesthatmadeus at gmail.com. Finally, check out our past episodes if you'd like to hear of more tales from cultures from around the world. I'll catch you again next week. Stay safe and goodbye.